Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Today is the culmination of what has been a, a period of time where we've, we've called it a countdown to hope. And um, today, if you've already opened your devotional that was pushed out to you through the app or through text, uh, it is the last of those devotionals today. And um, thank you for your feedback. There's been a lot of messages that I've received during the week uh, of how that has really challenged and drawn people closer to God and been really, really uh, encouraged as well that we've had messages far and wide from online partners through different states and even overseas uh, just saying uh, how pivotal that's been in, in, in drawing together and focusing uh, on the truth of Easter and uh, this countdown to hope. So uh, our reach is strong and uh, I just praise God that uh, you know, we're impacting lives outside of this room. So thank God for that. I want to ask a question this morning, uh, which is one that uh, a lot of people, uh, probably not so many in this room, but a lot of people ask, uh, did Jesus really rise again? Did Jesus, did his resurrection actually, literally happen? And the reason why it's an important question to ask, and it's an important question that we need to answer, is because if it isn't, then the Christian faith is totally useless. Because the most important thing about Christianity is not following the teachings of Jesus, not following the example of Jesus. The most important thing about Christianity is actually the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that's not just my words. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise again then this whole thing is a waste of time and on a beautiful Sunday like today where we've got an extended long weekend, the best thing we can be doing is just leaving here and going and enjoying the day. But here's where we also need to be very, very, very careful because if Jesus did rise from the dead, it's not only one of the most important events in human history, but it is something that every single one of us has to take very, very seriously. It's not something that we can afford to be totally indifferent about. As the story goes, after Jesus was crucified, a, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea went and requested the body of Jesus from the authorities so that he might give him a proper burial. And uh, he was laid in a tomb, which is kind of a, a cave uh, carved out of stone, and then a large stone would be rolled across to seal the tomb. Now there were several witnesses to the burial of Jesus. Then we're told that the Roman authorities actually put a guard on the tomb, which was an unusual thing, except that we discover the reason why in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 27 and 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, 
Make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guards. Now we know that that took place immediately after the burial of Jesus. But the next day when the women came to the tomb, Luke 24 and 1 tells us on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that had gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now, as the story goes, the women went to tell Peter and John what they had witnessed. Uh, Jesus then appears to them. Then he appears to two men walking on a road to Emmaus. Then he appeared to a group of the disciples, but we know that first occasion Thomas wasn't with them, but he appeared again to the disciples. And on that occasion, Thomas was with them. And these are many or some of many appearances of the resurrected Jesus. Paul later on kind of uh, brings a bit of a summary of that in 1 Corinthians 15 and 2. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Now, Paul gives us a list, but even that is not a complete list. But it demonstrates the truth from a, a factual, historical perspective that there were many, many witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. That is... Jesus' body, which had died, he was pronounced dead on the cross. He was put into a tomb. He lay there dead over a weekend, but it was miraculously raised to life again. Now, for a lot of us here today, we're kind of familiar with this story. But I do understand why there are some that would find this a really difficult thing to grasp. I mean, if the same thing happened in Devonport today, and we heard about it here, uh, naturally, I think many of us would be very, very sceptical about that. So I understand why people find this a difficult thing to believe. But I want to ask the question this morning, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, what are the alternative explanations for an empty tomb? What are the explanations for what took place on that first Easter Sunday? You see, the fact that the tomb was empty is not something that has really been debated 
that fact is actually recorded in historical manuscripts other than scripture. But the big question is, why was the tomb empty? And through the ages, there have been a number of explanations that have been offered. And I'm going to give you three of the big ones this morning. Uh, And these are perhaps the most plausible. The first alternative explanation to the empty tomb is that the disciples of Jesus uh, came and stole the body of Jesus. That That explanation was actually given on the very day that his tomb was found to be empty. It's in the Bible, Matthew 28 and 12. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Day. Now it's interesting that Matthew records that, and as he writes this, it's probably 30 years after the event. But he writes this and says, This story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So 30 years later, that's still the explanation that's widely given. But is this a plausible explanation that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, would have stolen his body? Well, from what we read in Scripture, I don't think so. I think we can reasonably conclude from Scripture that the disciples actually didn't think that Jesus was going to rise again. Luke 24 and 11, this is their response after the women saw the empty tomb. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So let's think about this, because if the disciples stealing the body of Jesus is a plausible explanation for the empty tomb, it doesn't seem to make sense if the disciples were not expecting Jesus, even though he had told them, They simply were not expecting Jesus to rise again. It's like it had gone in one ear and out the other. It just had not registered with them. For whatever reason, they just weren't expecting it. Which you've got to follow that through. And because they weren't expecting it, because the possibility of the resurrection of Jesus wasn't on their radar, a plan to steal the body of Jesus to perpetuate an expectation of his resurrection, that wouldn't have been on their radar either. But there's a more important question we need to address. How do we actually account for the radical change in the behavior of the disciples? Because without wanting to be unkind, before the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were pretty much fearful And in some ways, very cowardly. They had deserted Jesus. They denied Jesus. They'd all run away from the cross when Jesus was crucified. In John 20 and 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So here they are, frightened of the Jewish authorities, frightened to be counted as Jesus' disciples, meeting together behind locked doors, 
And suddenly into that locked room, Jesus appears. And from that point, the atmosphere in the room totally changed. We fast forward to the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we discover that these men, cowardly, fearful, were totally and radically transformed. It changed from from fear to incredible confidence, from mourning to joy. And from that point on, you find these disciples not characterized by weakness and fear and cowardice. You actually see them characterized by courage and boldness, which is something that they desperately lacked before the resurrection of Jesus. And within a few weeks, their witness and their teaching totally filled Jerusalem and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are being converted to Christ through their teaching. Acts 4 and 13, when the authorities saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished because they knew that before these guys, these unschooled ordinary men, they weren't people of significance at all. They were cowardly. And yet here they are now with the reputation of turning their world upside down. Tradition tells us that every single one of the disciples except for John was actually martyred for their faith. So how do you explain that boldness? How do you explain that commitment if these men were just simply perpetuating a story that they had made up all along and Jesus' body was really just in some unmarked grave somewhere? If the whole thing was just one big hoax, how do we explain the transformation? How do we explain their courage? Because if these disciples had difficulty actually finding courage to stand up for the truth when Jesus was alive before his crucifixion, how do we possibly explain the kind of courage they had to stand up for a lie Right up to the point of even giving their own lives for the sake of a hoax. Peter writing a letter later on says in 2 Peter 1 and 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says this is not cleverly invented stories. That's not what we have committed our lives to. No, he says this is the truth. And I guarantee if the whole thing was a hoax, at least one of Jesus' disciples would have caved in. But they didn't. And although the disciples doubted the possibility of the resurrection before it happened, after it happened, it totally transformed everything about their behaviour. And again, they gained the reputation in Jerusalem as men who turned their world upside down. So I think the explanation that the tomb was empty because the followers of Jesus stole his body, it's not really a strong argument. The second alternative explanation is that the tomb was empty because the Jewish or the Roman authorities had removed the body. And actually, when Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb, that was the first thought in her head. John 20 and 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter 
And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now in the natural, that makes sense. Because if the authorities were afraid that the disciples would steal Jesus' body, which is what they suspected, then we better get in first and steal the body ourselves. But if that is a possible explanation, why did those same authorities start to get uneasy when the disciples were literally turning Jerusalem upside down with their teaching about the resurrection of Jesus? Acts 4 and 2 of those authorities, it says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. If they had the body of Jesus, they didn't need to panic. They didn't need to be disturbed. All they had to do in the midst of this climate of uh, um, absolute revival that's going on in Jerusalem as thousands come to Jesus, as thousands respond to the message of a resurrected Christ... They didn't have to panic. All they had to do was go and bring back the body of Jesus and the whole thing would have been over. All they had to do was produce the body. The disciples would have been exposed as false teachers. Problem solved. But they didn't. And so the idea that the authorities removed the body would have been a really clever idea, but they didn't have the body because if they did... They could have stopped this whole Christian movement before it even started. And the third alternative explanation was that tomb was not actually empty. Which means those who claimed to see Jesus were either hallucinating or they saw a ghost. And again, that's actually what the disciples thought when they first saw the resurrected Jesus. Luke 24 and 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And as we've already discovered, the disciples simply were not expecting Jesus to rise again. So for them, the only explanation for what they are witnessing is, it looks like Jesus, it sounds like Jesus, it must be a ghost. And again, that shows how much the disciples were simply not expecting Jesus' resurrection. Their first response when they were told that he was resurrected from the dead, when the ladies gave report, is, your words seem like absolute nonsense. Their second response when they actually witnessed the risen Jesus was, it must be a ghost. They weren't expecting to see Jesus. I had a book on my bookshelf for many, many years. Um, and it was called the, the Case or the Evidence for the Resurrection. And it was actually written by a lawyer, a guy called Norman Anderson. And he said this, If the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ was presented to a court of law with a jury, 
the jury would be compelled to return the verdict, Jesus literally physically rose from the dead because every alternative explanation doesn't carry substantiation with it in any way. And that is why 2,000 years after the event, we're still sitting here talking about it. So the final question I will ask this morning. So what? What does it mean to me? Friends, it is the resurrection of Jesus that actually lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It is the truth of the resurrection that 2,000 years later still sees millions upon millions of people every year, the world over, turning to faith in Jesus. Not because he was a good teacher, but because he is a risen Saviour. Amen. So three things as we close, and I'll invite the team back. First, the resurrection of Jesus gives proof of Jesus being who he claimed to be. Later on in Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching in Athens and he says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all people by raising him from the dead. And Paul says, God has given proof of Jesus by raising him from the dead. And friends, everything we need to know about Jesus is proven by his resurrection. If you need proof of Jesus, look at the resurrection story. Look at the empty tomb. And the resurrection is God's authentication of Jesus. And again, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then the whole of Christianity is absolutely meaningless. And no question, it would have died out over the last two millennia. But the second thing about the resurrection of Jesus, which is why it hasn't died, is that Jesus, the living Jesus, grants power. Philippians 3 and 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus is the total transformation of the lives of His disciples and not just the disciples that lived and witnessed Jesus firsthand, but every disciple right through all of the ages up to the present day. You see the evidence of Jesus in the transformed lives of the followers of Jesus today. And that same Jesus who totally and radically changed the lives of those first disciples is still in the business today of totally and radically changing lives, including mine, including yours. And dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people in this room today. Can I hear an amen? The disciples, characterised by weakness and cowardice and failure, but after the resurrection, they were different men and different women. Not because they believed something that they hadn't believed before, but because they received something they'd never received before. And they received into their life the life of the risen Saviour, Jesus, by His Holy Spirit taking up residence. And friends, the gospel message is about getting rid of 
our sin and our guilt in order that the Holy Spirit of God might come and live the life of Jesus within us and transform us from the inside out and equip every single one of us to live a new kind of life. And we're not sitting here today because we're really impressed with something that took place 2,000 years ago. We're here today because you can leave here today. You can go back to your normal life. You can go back to your family, back to your neighborhood, back to your work life, back to your everyday world. But you can be totally changed and transformed with new power in your life, new purpose in your life, new hope in your life. Because God is still in the business of changing people. And the third thing is that the resurrection of Jesus gives us an eternal hope. That there is an eternity that awaits us and that same power that raised Jesus from the dead will also raise every single one of us to new life in Him. 1 Corinthians 15 and 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since, death, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the Apostle Paul says the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of the resurrection for those who know Christ, those who are in Christ. And the resurrection, friends, of Jesus gives us hope because the day will come where this body will fail us. But because of the resurrection, the Bible very clearly tells us to those who have faith in Jesus, there will be for a resurrection for us into a new body and into a new life because the resurrection is the hope of eternal life. So as I wrap this up, number one, the resurrection is the proof of Jesus. It is actually the thing that makes the Christian faith and life work. Number two, the resurrection is the power of Jesus. We do not worship a dead teacher. We worship a living Saviour who lives within us by His Holy Spirit and empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. And then thirdly, the resurrection is the hope of Jesus, the eternal hope because of His rising from the grave. We carry with us that assurance, that hope, that promise of eternal life. So what do you do about this this morning? How do you respond to this this morning? Number one, believe it. Christianity is based on historical events. It's not some dead philosophy. It's based on true events that took place in history. And you need to believe Jesus was God, that He became a man and lived the life that He lived, that He died the death that He died on the cross, but that He was buried and raised again to life. Second thing we've got to do in response is to appropriate that. What does that mean? You've got to personalize it. You've got to make this yours. That means you come and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you in my life. I know that my life is incomplete in some way without you. And then we confess our need. We say, 
please forgive me. I need your forgiveness. Forgive me for keeping you out of my life. Forgive me of the sin in my life. On the basis of your death, transform me into a new creation. And then by your Holy Spirit, that resurrection power, impart to me the gift of life, the the risen life of Jesus. Dwelling within me, transforming me that I might be a new person. And then once you've appropriated that for yourself, once you've personalised and made it yours, then you just get about the business of living every single day to the glory of God, empowered by His Holy Spirit to live that life. And with that comes a hope that you never had before, a confidence you never had before, an assurance that you never had before, a strength, a source of strength that you never had before. And if you don't know this, Personally, if this is something that's foreign to you, there isn't a better day on the calendar than Resurrection Sunday in which to give your life to Jesus. There's going to be words to a prayer come up on the screen. And uh, I'll just read it. But you know, it's so important as a church family that we gather around those because we're all on a different journey as we look towards God. We're on different stages of faith. And as a church family, we just gather around and spur one another on and encourage each other in faith and grow together. And that's why we exist as a church, just helping people discover the fullness of God. And so at the conclusion of the service, if you'd like to know more, or indeed if you pray a significant prayer of surrender to Christ this morning, we just want to equip you to live well for Jesus and fully understand what it means. We'd love to help you be sure this Easter morning that what happened all of those years ago can become the most dynamic thing in your life as you receive Jesus. And then for those of us who are in Christ, part of His family, those of us who are Christian, can I encourage you to leave here today and live this week as though Jesus is alive. That you would face every discouragement anything that would threaten you or frighten you, that you would face it with that reassurance that whatever else is true, Jesus is alive and He is alive in me and I am secure forever. Amen. So this morning, uh, just by way of helping those who might need to cross that line of faith today, here's words to a prayer. And as I always say, there's no magic in words. It's simply a relationship we enter into with God. But the first part of that is a confession of our need for Him. And I'll read these words and you can just echo these words in your own heart, just right where you're sitting. Uh, And it just simply goes like this. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I've sinned and I cannot save myself. I'm tired, tired of closing the door of my heart every time I hear you knocking. And today, by faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. And I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Saviour. Amen.